0: Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences.
1: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the TSN
2: MMA Show interview edition. We've got a lot of interviews to get to this week, so let's get right to it. We've got the main event, UFC Fight Night. Derek Lewis taking on Curtis Blades. They will both join me on the show this week. Love speaking with both of these individuals. Uh, both very thoughtful in their approach to the game. And uh, I obviously have a lot of respect for both these guys in a fight that will have a pretty pivotal impact on the heavyweight division. While John Jones likely next in line for the winner of Miacic and Nganu, Chances are whoever wins this fight will get the shot after that. They can stay busy, keep winning, and uh, you know show what they can do in the cage. Also on this card, Eamon Zahabi from Montreal, Quebec joins me on the show. Always a pleasure speaking with him. Another one of the bright minds of mixed martial arts and brother of Canadian mixed martial arts pioneer Faraz Zahabi, who will be in his corner this weekend as he faces Draco Rodriguez. And speaking of brothers, Chris Daukus joins the show. The older brother of Kyle Daukus both entered the UFC in 2020. Chris Daukus off to a roaring start. Two first-round finishes in the heavyweight division as he... Looks to continue his success against Alexei we Will also be joined by one of the big winners from the weekend. Was down two rounds on the card. Came back, scored a sub in the last minute of the fight. And then had a big call out. Wanted Miley Cyrus to be his valentine. None other than Julian Marquez. He will join us on the show as well. Plus, we'll go to the regional scene. Anthony Taylor will join us. Pretty boy, as he is known as, uh, former Bellator fighter, Bama fighter, Combate America fighter. Looking to get a job in the UFC or elsewhere sometime in 2020, trains or 2021 rather, trains with Antonio McKee, AJ McKee, Rampage Jackson. Pretty stacked camp uh, that he is with. And uh, we had a really good heart-to-heart conversation um, about mental health of fighters, about um, not being able to stay active during the pandemic, and uh, much, much more. So happy to be joined by Anthony Prettyboy Taylor. Let's get this show started. We'll start off with the main event, Curtis Blades followed by Derek Lewis, Eamon Zahabi, Chris Dawkis, Julian Marquez, Anthony Prettyboy Taylor. Great show for you this week. Please do subscribe, review, rate the show on iTunes. Always appreciate your support. It's a free show, and uh, that's all we ask in return. Give us, uh, give us uh, some, some nice feedback. That's all. Here's Curtis Blades on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by Curtis Blazers taking on Derek Lewis this weekend. It's the final time, Derek. I, uh sorry, Curtis, I get to speak with you in your twenties. You're turning thirty tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> any sir. big
3: any big plans for your thirtieth birthday? Well, yeah, um not big. Well, we're just gonna go home, go back to Chicago after this fight and uh spend some time with my my dad, my brothers, and my sisters.
2: Well, that's uh, that's good. So you're in your thir- you're going to be in your 30s. You're going to be pretty much entering your prime now as a, as an athlete. Do you feel like prime years are for a heavyweight are in there is like around the age of 30, or do you feel like maybe 32? It seems like heavyweights tend to peak a little bit
3: later. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on the on the specific heavyweight. But yeah, I think I've I still got an upward trajectory. Um, I I feel like I have, I'm not even close to plateauing yet. So yeah, I'm entering my prime.
2: I heard your interview with Ariel Hawani and it seems like you're in a, a much better place than you were uh mentally in terms of where you're at in this division. Looks like John Jones is going to get the next title shot uh, after uh Miachich and Francis meet up. What what uh was the caveat for this change? What what made you change your
3: mindset in this division? I just I understand this is business. Like John Jones is a name. John Jones is one of the names. So and for him to bump up the heavyweight, like, why would the UFC waste the opportunity to squeeze the most profit out of him? The best way to get the most profit out of him is to have him jump the line and compete for the heavyweight title shot. So I get it. It's it's not hard to understand.
2: It seems like a few months ago, this would have been something that you were upset about. Um, what 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 made you, I guess, I mean, change your mind on that?
3: make me happy but i just i don't know i just i I get it like this is business like and there's nothing i can do about it so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like waste into energy or emotional energy on something that's already a done deal and there's nothing i can do about it
2: yeah, it's always good to focus on the things you can control uh, rather than the things you can't. But uh, with that in mind, yeah. should you get a win this weekend, what, what what would you like to do? That that's in your control. Do you want to fight again? Do you want to wait? Do you, do you have any sort of insight on on where you're looking to go in, in the year 2021?
3: Uh, I mean, originally the plan was to was to win this one and then wait for my t- title shot. So, um, I think that's. That's still going to be the game plan we're going with right now, but it's it's not in concrete, so it can change. It depends on who's available and like what are the pros and cons of that person, of that potential matchup.
2: When you look at earning potential, and, and this is something that you've talked about in the past, um, you have two fights left on your contract. You revealed that as well in the interview with Ariel. Uh, would it be beneficial for you to win this fight, win another fight after that, and then get a new contract? Is that something that, that's also on your mind? Uh, or do you feel like you want to wait for the title shot because that's going to be the biggest payday?
3: I mean, usually in in the past with my contracts, this is my third contract, they usually renegotiate before you get to the last fight. So... That's what I was thinking was going to happen after this one. But I don't know. Um, I haven't really, I I have not spoken to anyone within the USC about that. And I haven't really thought a whole lot about it because of, of the fight. But hopefully after this one, we can re- renegotiate.
2: Do you ever think to yourself, I'm an elite heavyweight? There are you can count the elite heavyweights in the world of mixed martial arts probably on one hand. Uh, do you ever think I can really maximize my potential out, elsewhere, outside of the UFC? I'll get a title shot probably right away, make a lot of money. Does that thought ever cross your mind, or or do you want to stay in the UFC because you feel like the best talent is there?
3: No, you want to be in the UFC because, like you like you just said, this is where the best of the best are. Like when you, you win this belt, it means so much more as opposed to having. A belt for a core or, or I don't even know does PFL even have a belt. I don't even know, but yeah, the US he is the gold standard, and that's where the best of the best are, and that's that's where you want to build your your legacy. Because I do eventually one day I'd like to be in the US E Hall of Fame. That's a goal.
2: So legacy is very important to you, then. I mean, the, the idea of going to a comp, uh, you know a, another promotion where you're going to have easier competition and make more money. Isn't as appealing to you as proving that you're the best in the world.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, with that in mind, Derek Lewis, it's a it's a tough matchup. It was one that you've been tasked with for some time. The first time around, it got canceled. Has it been good to be able to focus on on an opponent for this amount of time? Do you feel like you've only been able to, uh, I guess, build a, a better game plan as time's gone on?
3: Yeah, it doesn't hurt having an extra extra long camp. Can't hurt. Um, I think. I think it has given me time to, you know, focus on, like, smaller details of my game. And we've been addressing some of the, some of the uh, minor details when it comes to my jiu So I think, yeah, the extra t- time has only helped me.
2: I spoke to uh, your coaches, uh, Vinny Lopez and Cody Donovan. Uh, back before you fought Francis and Gannon for the second time, I did a piece on your evolution in this sport and how you came up from basically working at a UFC gym in Chicago to where you're at now as one of the, the top heavyweights in the sport. Uh, when, asked, when I asked them about your striking, they said that when you first came to the camp, you were at like a zero or a one in striking, and at that time, you were at a yeah. six and that Corey Sanhagen was at a 10. We've seen how Corey Sanhagen's looked in, in recent fights. Uh, I think calling his striking a 10 is now fair. I think people now realize just how good this guy is. But if your striking was a 6 back then, where's it at now? If you were to place a numerical value on it, if Corey's a 10, you were a 6 back then, where's Curtis Blades today?
3: A 7. Like I said, I've, I've still got an upward trajectory. There's still so much I've got to add, add to my game. And um, I've got years and years of growth left. So yeah, I think I'm. Eventually, when I retire, I'd like to be a t- ten like Corey. But who knows? Cause Corey's a he's a ninja. So that's a lofty uh, aspiration of mine.
2: He came from more of a grappling background. How did he get so good at striking? Does he just have this knack for it?
3: He's just a natural. He's just a natural. I I met him when I first came to Elevation in 2016 when he was he was fighting for LFA still and I knew then I was like man this dude I'm watching him hit pads and it looked it looked like he was doing a a, a dance that involved punching and knees and kicks and it, it was just beautiful and then watching him translate the pad work into sparring it looks just as beautiful and then watching him take that into the cage when the when the money's on the line it's just it's been cool to watch his growth also. I've been able to watch it like firsthand cuz obviously we don't spar but I I watch him spar and it's just I'm real really really proud of him. The growth, the growth he's made.
2: Did you get to watch the legendary sparring sessions between him and TJ Dillashaw which are the a thing of lore in the MMA space?
3: Yeah, I watched I watched them go a couple rounds and and the the rumors are true. Corey... I'm not going to say he was k- killing them because obviously TJ is a stud also. But they were they were back and forth. It would be around for TJ, around for Corey, around for TJ, around for Corey. Like, they were pretty evenly matched back then.
2: But it's probably important to point out that Dillashaw was the champion at the time, or at least on the cusp of becoming a, a second-time champion, whereas Corey was brand new yeah. to the UFC.
3: Yeah, that's that's what impressed me. I. I thought when you look at him, you're like, oh, who's this skinny guy? Like, he doesn't look like a fighter. He just looks like a normal dude. And then he puts the gloves on, puts the mouth guard in, and and transforms into like. I don't know if you're into like um, fantasy movies, but I've always been into like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and stuff. He, he moves like an elf. Like, they're super graceful, but super um, dangerous. He reminds me of an elf. Except he's tall. Yeah, except he's <laughs> tall. Well I actually the elves in those movies are actually pretty t- tall and slim also. They look like him. He looks like an elf. And like physique and how he fights. He reminds me of an of an elven warrior. Yeah.
2: Well, I will sadly admit that I I when I was in grade school I think I read The Hobbit and that's the that's the the amount of knowledge I have of the J.R. Tolkien world. I haven't seen those movies. I haven't read the books. I, I'm sure I I'd heard that you yeah I, I don't I haven't seen them or maybe I will watch them with my ten year old. I'm sure he'd he'd get something <laughs> out of that, but I haven't had a chance to uh, to dive into that world yet.
3: You're missing out, man. <laughs> All
2: right, well I'll will take that I'll take that from you and and go with it. Um, so uh, again for this for this fight against Derek Lewis, you've pulled no punches about the fact that when you're in there. Your best attribute is your, is your wrestling. I believe you have the most takedowns in heavyweight history. And you're on pace to have the most takedowns in UFC history. That's always going to be uh, game plan number one until somebody can stifle that particular game plan.
3: Yes, sir. Like, like I said with Junior, Junior, he he stuffed them. We altered the game plan and we still won. I can strike if I have to, but I, I'm I'm not going to play that game. This is heavyweight, like. If I was a bantamweight or a lightweight or a welterweight, yeah, I'd play that game. Because you can eat five, six heavy punches and it's the the risk isn't the same. A heavyweight, it could be a heavy jab and that could be the fight. It could be lights out after a heavy jab. So I just, the money's on the line. I, I have a family and like people don't care. I know they don't care because they, they think we're rich. I'm not rich. I'm doing all right and in order to maintain the lifestyle that I have right now I have to win by any means necessary. Like I I'm, I'm not here playing games. I'm not here to to t- test myself. I guess I am here to test myself but not in that way. I'm here just to get the W. Well,
2: I think uh in this past weekend you saw Gilbert Burns uh taking on uh Kamaru and Kamaru's made a lot of uh, striking improvements as you could tell from that last fight he's out in denver with you guys so you've seen it firsthand but uh the thing about gilbert is that he puts you in a position where if you take him down you got to deal with his jiu-jitsu there's nobody yeah. really like that at heavyweight which is a real bonus for you exactly. because you can use your wrestling in reverse to, if you want to keep it striking with somebody and of course you can use your your grappling against pretty much anybody in the division and not have to worry about it
3: is exactly. that like i get why usman didn't use his wrestling that that was not the game plan like with a guy like Gilbert Burns who's who's as scary as he is off his back, no. Nah, you you strike with him. Especially if you, you've already sparred with him, like you understand what he's good at, what he's not good at. Like I get I get why he fought the way he fought. But if if I think if Usman was going against a guy like Wonderboy, he's gonna wrestle him. Like why wouldn't you wrestle Wonder Boy? Why would you wanna strike and play his game? Or give him the best advantage to hang around with you and And potentially catch you with a head kick why not put him on his butt to tire him out gas him out and then if the opportunity presents itself then you knock him out on the feet
2: why haven't we seen any submissions from you i look at your record i see decisions i see knockouts but no submissions and you're on the ground for much of your fights
3: um that was on me i i wasn't putting in the proper time and energy into my jujitsu i was I was going to jiu-jitsu just to learn how to not get submitted. It was more defensive based, but over the past year and a half, I've been a lot more offensively based with my jiu-jitsu workouts. So um, I I can see that coming in the in the future. I've been getting a, a lot more submissions and in, in my sparring rounds, uh, a lot more submissions when I go to to my jujitsu classes where it's just like pure jujitsu. So my jiu jitsu has grown and my, my knowledge has grown. But I think I needed to learn the defense first before the offense.
2: Alright, well final question. I've been trying to get as much time with you as possible while you're still in your 20s, but last question who is the second best wrestler in the heavyweight division in your opinion? Stepe. Is that with John Jones in the division?
3: Oh uh no, I wasn't acting John in. Um I still go Steve Bay. I know John's got wrestling, but I at heavyweight, I've yet to see how his skills translate. So I can't I can't put him up over Steve
2: All right. Well speaking on behalf of Canada, happy early birthday to you, Curtis Blades, and best of luck this weekend against Derek Lewis.
3: Thank you, sir. I appreciate that.
2: I'm joined by one half of the main event of UFC Fight Night. It's Derek Lewis taking on Curtis Blades this weekend. Uh, first off, I hope everybody in your family in Texas and your friends are, are doing okay. I know there's a, a statewide blackout pretty much going on uh, over there. Was your area affected at all?
4: Um, yes. Yes. Um, I probably went off and on for at least about six times in the whole week. And it stayed off for almost half a day. Each time it was off.
2: What, what were you able to do uh with your kids there? Are they okay? Are they like they're figuring out uh how to keep themselves occupied?
4: Oh yes. We was um we stayed in the moving room moving room and it's the only house the only room in the house that has no windows, so and it it gets warm in there pretty easily.
2: Yeah, because what I understand it's quite cold in Texas right now. It's uh like colder than it usually isn't that is the cause of these blackouts?
4: Um what do you say?
2: From what I understand, it's colder than it usually is in Texas at this time of year.
4: Oh, yeah, it's very cold right now. Um, I heard that it's even colder in Texas than it is in Alaska right now.
2: I, I don't know about uh, that, but I'll have to look that up. Uh, did your family make the trip with you?
4: Oh, uh, no, they didn't.
2: Okay, so they're back at home. Uh, oh, you've mentioned this to me. You don't like having family with you uh, when you're on, I guess, a business trip, so to speak. When you're when you're uh, leading up to a fight, you like to stay focused uh, on the task at hand and not have anything that's taking you away from that.
4: Yes, for sure. Um, it's always better whenever I go home that day anyways, after being gone so long. Then whenever I see them, it's always a great feeling. Uh, Does your family watch to compete? Yes, they watch me compete. Um, not so much my kids. My kids really can't sit still that long.
2: So, so it's your wife that watches, and then when, when uh, I guess, if you win the fight, you're, they, she'll tell your kids that, you know, daddy won or whatever along those lines?
4: Yes. Yeah, she would tell them. Uh, or they would hear her screaming, yelling, at, or whatever.
2: <laughs> they hear from upstairs or <laughs> whatever it is?
4: Whatever she want to watch it at. So we got <laughs> seven rooms, so whatever room she picked to watch it. So...
2: All right, well, Curtis Blades, a pretty tall task. It's one that you were assigned late last year. The fight fell through, I believe it was either the day before or day of the fight. Uh, when you found that news out, uh, how did you react to it?
4: Um, I was shocked. And, you know, I used to always joke around that, hopefully, that doesn't happen to me, but it, it did. Um, and so, I wasn't really mad at him about it, nothing like that, I was just really hurt um, am wondering if he was going to be okay. You know, of course, we are, we're going to compete against each other, but I didn't want nothing seriously to happen to the guy. I really don't hate him that much. I hate him, but not that much.
2: I'm sure you hate him as uh, being an adversary of yours in the case. Did you reach out to him at all uh, to find out how he was doing?
4: Uh, not at all. You know, um, I hate him, but, you know, but no, no, I didn't reach out at him.
2: So, when you get home uh, back to Texas from Nevada, having not competed, when do you get back into training and, and look ahead? Uh, did they tell you at that point in time that the fight was going to be rescheduled uh, for the coming months?
4: Um, I took like a week or two off. Got over, um, I say, yeah, about a week or two. I stopped training. Then I went back to training just before New Year's because I knew New Year's was going to be a big party day for me. So. Yeah, I started training right after New Year's, really hard after that.
2: Was it nice to be able to celebrate the, the holidays with your family, to celebrate Christmas, and uh, not have to worry too much about, uh, you know, being in fight shape at that time?
4: Yes, it's always good to celebrate with my family. Whenever I have to worry about any fights and stuff like that, nothing else on my mind besides my family. So it was great.
2: Now I know you've told me that your optimal fight weights in around the two fifties somewhere in that range. Is that what you're looking to weigh in at uh, on Friday?
4: Oh, uh, We just have to see. You know, um, a lot of stuff happened last minute. But, you know, I'm still going to come in great shape. Um, my weight is going to be, you know, pretty good. You know, we'll see. Still you, got time. Do
2: you have to cut anything? Or right now you're below the, the 265 threshold?
4: Oh, I'm below the 265 right now. You know, it's all depend on if I decide on if I want to go eat at a couple of these restaurants down the street or get some DoorDash going. So it all depends on myself right now. So, yeah.
2: Did you ever used to have to worry about cutting a lot of weight? Like, what's the most weight that you cut to get down to 265 for a, a particular fight during fight week?
4: Um, Fight week? Um, Before I, I – on a Tuesday, I came in at 292. And I had to cut down all the way to 265. And I took some laxatives that week and everything that helped me. And I don't know if he, even if he was supposed to even take laxative, but I took some laxatives, and that was the fight I had fought um, Travis Brown. And so I think those those were still trying to kick in during the fight too. So so thank God it didn't.
2: That was the fight where Brian Stan, after the fact, asked you uh, if those kicks to the stomach hurt, and uh, you famously responded yeah. that uh, they, they got things—they got the laxatives moving.
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he did break my ribs that fight too, but I also did have to take a shit. <laughs> but but the
2: ribs—did you know about uh, at the time that that was uh, that your ribs had been broken at that at that point in time or until afterwards? Didn't,
4: I, didn't, I didn't know um, until I went to the doctor, the emergency room the next week. Um, it was two ribs broken. Did
2: you get rushed to the emergency room? How did you uh, know that you had to go and get get that looked at?
4: Oh um, my, I, I was just telling them that I just had pain. It was just bruising. It was bruising on my my um, my chest, and so they just wanted to check that out. So I was just telling them um, it was just a little bruise, and so they just wanted to do an MRI, X-ray, and all that on me, and so and that's whenever they noticed there was um, a break.
2: Now, you had back surgery, and you said that that has made a, a massive difference in your quality of life. Uh, how, do you still feel that way? Are are the impacts of having the surgery still with you, or are you starting to experience any back pain uh, from before the surgery, or anything along those lines?
4: No, my back been great. Um, ever since I had my knee surgery, I didn't have any more back problems. They told me that the reason why I was having all this problem is because my um, – my, my back was compensating. Oh, my knee was compensating because of my back. Um, no, my my knee. My back was compensating because of my knee. So yeah. So how
2: so would that help? Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off there, Derek. Uh, how would that help <laughs> with your range of motion in terms of uh, in terms of your training? What are you able to do better uh, that you weren't able to do before?
4: Um, it helps out a lot. Now I could do my um my jump knees and move a lot better, move a lot faster, quicker. Uh, I'm, I'm able to get in and out real, real smooth. And so I'm feeling like good in there now, not really struggling with myself. It's usually I'm in there fighting with my body the whole time. You know, I'm not fighting with my opponent. I'm fighting with my body, I guess, aim my opponent. So I'm just like struggling in there. Now I'm like just focus on one thing.
2: So I imagine not having to cut any weight and that, that particular, um, the impacts of the surgery really help you focus single-mindedly on your opponents. So for this particular camp, how much time were you working on takedown defense? Obviously, Curtis never holds back on, on the fact that that's gonna be his goal, take you down, keep you there, whoever his opponent is, not just you, but he wants to test everybody's takedown defense.
4: I've um, take, been working on takedown defense. You know, you know, if that's all you wanna do, that's fine. No, but if don't be surprised if that's all i'm going to do too is try to take him down so don't be surprised
2: who's the next biggest guy that you train with
4: um it's a guy named ricardo he's from brazil um he's like 260 250 something like that and he's like um third degree black belt and he's a pretty strong guy um he's taller than me he's He's an inch taller than me. um, Got the same reach as Curtis. um, But I believe that he's a way more technical um, guy on the ground. So he's been really helping me, teaching me a lot and showing me a lot, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see what I learned from him.
2: Is this someone that you brought in specifically for this camp or somebody that uh, you've been training with for some time?
4: Um, No, he ended up just moving here from Brazil. Um, He's been um, actually coaching jiu at the gym I train at and so he just came in like a few months ago so I just been working with him and been improving
2: and has the gym uh, been open as usual with you know coach Bob coaching everybody and, and getting everybody prepared
4: yes yeah, so the gym been open as usual um, everything we've been still getting a lot of members new members um, last month we got like 42 new member, so it's been doing pretty good.
2: Well, that's great news. Uh, great news for crew, Bob. Uh, I always appreciate your time, Derek. Best of luck this weekend against Curtis Blades in the main event, UFC Fight Night. You can watch it on TSN, and uh, like I mentioned, always appreciate it.
4: Uh, thanks for having me.
2: I'm joined now by one of the heavyweights with the fastest hands in the UFC. It's Chris Dacus, 2-0 in the year 2020, looking to continue that uh, against Alexei Olinik this weekend. So, uh, Alexei obviously is going to try to pull out his bag of tricks he's got a lot of submissions up his sleeve but you're a jujitsu ba- black belt and you're confident you can uh go to the ground with him and not get put into deep waters
0: uh yeah yeah it's it's uh you know you don't get to this level and you know <clears throat> and not be well-rounded and that's you know that's that's a part of my game that uh hasn't been showcased yet and i don't plan on showing that but just in case i have that in my back pocket for saturday so
2: I looked at the way um, you came in in terms of weight for the first fight versus the second fight. And you were you were pretty thin in that last fight. Uh, you looked really yeah. good. Are you looking to stay light for this particular fight as well?
0: Uh yeah. And um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if uh like a lot of people know. It's just I feel that the the flight and the travel time and uh, going over to Abu Dhabi kind of mess with my body a little bit. Um, just with the whole time time zone change and having to stay up. Uh, throughout the night while also having to be up during the day for, you know, like uh media obligations and other obligations with the UFC. So I think my body kinda shut down a bit. Um and I was I was still training really hard during the week as well. So that that definitely played a factor in that. Um I wasn't planning on coming in that um you know that that low and this fight I'll be you know probably I'll be anywhere between two thirty and like two thirty five coming into this fight. So that's that's uh, a comfortable weight that I want to test out for this fight, and then we'll make adjustments as far as you know if if I need to add a little bit more size or or uh, if we go back down to you know maybe two twenty five area. So we'll see.
2: You mentioned that you haven't shown off your ground game just yet, but in an ideal world, you're hoping to not have to show it off in this fight, I imagine.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's in an absolutely ideal world, I come out, we touch gloves, a uh, few little exchange. I land and and put them to sleep and uh you know but it's fighting and and things things happen on the fly so um, I'll be doing everything I can to make sure that that does happen but you know it's a fist fight anything can happen.
2: When you look at the heavyweight division, it seems like a division where you can really ascend quickly. You look at Cyril Gunn, he's in the yeah. main event coming up soon. Uh, we look at what yeah. Rosen done; his opponent, like they've they've moved up really quickly. If you're going to keep getting these first round finishes, how quickly yeah. do you think you can get into that top ten uh, ranking in that in the UFC's heavyweight division?
0: Uh, you know, after this fight, you know, uh, I think when I signed the fight with Alexei, he was ranked top ten, and uh, you know, where I come from, you pretty much. Keep what you kill, pretty much. So uh, I, there's no reason why I shouldn't have a have a take his spot in the rankings. Um, so, you know, yeah, I I guess it's all up to like you media guys and what, what the fans feel like where, where I should rank. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the landscape as far as the uh, opponents in the heavyweight division are getting uh, older. Um, you know, uh, a lot of guys who've been fighting for a, a very long time. And if they're ranked above me, I have no problem taking them out. Um, you know, the, the UFC has done a great job in promoting me and uh, promoting some of the uh, other younger guys, which is which is great. And I think that that's what they should be doing. You know, we're all the new blood coming in, so there there should be you know hype behind us. And I'm fine with taking out the older guys and then you know having us younger guys meet at the top, and then we'll we'll figure out who's the top dog in uh, you know later this year or early next year.
2: You mentioned the fans and media members voting on the rankings. Do you like that? I know that a lot of people have mixed feelings about that.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, it's a system in place where you you can't really change it. Uh, as of now, there there'd have to be like a super overhaul on that. Um, but then it becomes all subjective. I mean, it's it's subjective anyway with the media and the fans anyway. Like if if you're a fan favorite, obviously you're going to be right higher, you know. But if if you're out there talking and you know. If you're a, a Conor McGregor-esque person, where you, you know you're you're all talk and you know people want to come see you talk, you're, you're going to climb those rankings a lot quicker as opposed to someone who just stays quiet and puts in the work and beats quality opponents. I obviously think that beating quality opponents and having good fights and you know putting on good shows should guarantee you a top spot. And, you know if you're beating like I'm fighting Alexi, he's number ten or number twelve now. If, if I go out there and impressively stop him, there shouldn't be a reason why I shouldn't take his spot. You know, that's, that's just my mindset, but obviously that's not how things work. So rankings really um, come into play when you start making money and when you start making, you know, trying to get to that title shot. And as long as I keep winning and, you know, I keep on putting on impressive, uh, impressive wins, the money will come and that, you know, that, that ranking will come. So I'm not too worried about it.
2: Yeah, I'm a member of the media. Obviously, I don't like the system. I personally think that they could do a numerical system. Like, there's a website called Fight Matrix, and it's all data driven. Okay. I think that if you have that kind of data, yeah. that's the way that it should be determined, rather than like you mentioned, from an emotional standpoint.
0: <laughs> a lot of people yeah.
2: will will give it yeah. to someone who has a great post-fight speech.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the kind of like world we live in. I guess it's it's you know the 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 headline driven type thing. But um, you know that's if that's what I have to do, I, I guess I, I have to start doing that to uh get my name out there even even more but um you know if you're if you're out there making headlines by what you say and not by actually what you do that's that's kind of backwards in, in my mind i i'd rather go out there and and flatline people you know like, like i've been doing and make my name off of that as opposed to just just talking to, you know talking a big game
2: i've got a juicy headline Chris Dawkins has third straight first round finish in the heavyweight division. That's not
0: a bad headline. We, we can work on that one. You, you have the power to control yes, that yes, headline. Yes, we can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, I do. And, uh, and I definitely plan on doing that coming up this weekend. So.
2: How valuable of a resource is it to have uh, your younger brother Kyle? I, I know you guys have been doing some yeah. training in, in the garage uh, leading up to this one. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So, so how uh, how important is it for you to have each other in making this journey together? You guys both came to the UFC in 2020. I thought that Kyle was completely robbed of a contract when he was on the Contender Series. Thankfully, he made it to the show Agreed. eventually. But uh, it's good. It must be good yeah. to have each other.
0: Oh uh, yeah, he's he's the he's my number one training partner. I I couldn't ask for a better training partner. Um, Inside the gym or outside the gym, like whatever we do outside the gym, if we're doing extra work, you know, whether it's at the track or he's coming over my place or, or I'm going over his place to, you know, to hit pads, game plan, work on some extra cardio with you know, with the, uh, the assault. Like it's, it's, it, it really is a, a perfect spot and, a, and a, a perfect storm for both of our careers. You know, um, he helps me out with a lot of things. I help him out with a lot of things. So it's, I couldn't ask for a better person to, be by my side you know going through this journey with him and and going through his journey as well so it's it's something that i'll i'll always remember
2: at what age did he catch up to you when he could start hanging with you i know you're the bigger brother i'm sure there's some tough love (laughs) along the way but what at what age did kyle did kyle get in there and and start to actually hang with you
0: uh recently recently he uh you know i I was always the bigger guy and then uh kind of i guess you know when he started maturing when when he I think it was his it was probably his last amateur fight, I think he started hanging with me. He he made a completely lifestyle change and everything like that. Took everything seriously. He was making one eighty five as he was opposed to you know, he was fighting at heavyweight as a as a baby, realistically. He was like, you know, he was a younger kid, like sixteen, seventeen years old, fighting grown men at heavyweight. You know, and he he said it in previous interviews, he was like a he was just a fat kid, so once he started to mature and in both, you know, physically and mentally, and then just, you know, with his fight IQ, you know, he, he made leaps and bounds and, and that's when I knew that, that if any of us were going to, was going to make the UFC guaranteed, it was definitely going to be him first. And, you know, he, he made that, he, he made it to the UFC first and uh, I'm, I'm extremely proud of him.
2: How many Dawkins brothers are there? And give me some stories from your upbringing, something that maybe we don't know yet.
0: <laughs> uh, so there's three daughters brothers total, uh, me and my brother are closest in age. Um, and then I have a sister who is 16 and then a younger brother who is 13, 12 or 13. So, um, yeah. So realistically me and my brother Kyle would be, uh, you know, the, the stories, but, uh, we would always go at it. Um, when we were kids, I was always like, you know, obviously the, the bigger, the bigger brother, um, but I would hold him down and pin him down and stuff like that. And then, you know, he would call for my mom for for, for backup. And then, you know, uh, she would whoop my ass. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we we would always go back and forth. There was a, a lot of broken furniture in my house growing up. There was a lot of broken mirrors. A lot of a lot of fistfights. Like me and him were legit scrapping the one day, and my mom got in the middle of it and. Uh, she ended up catching a, a left or a right from from one of us, and then she whooped our ass. So it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was very good growing up in the darkest household, and we we definitely cost our mom uh, a lot of money with uh, breaking furniture and uh, and other things. So
2: you've got 18 years on your younger brother. I have a feeling he he's probably not yeah. getting uh, in, in any firestorms. He's probably
0: safe at head No, no, <laughs> no. He, he he definitely lucked out, and uh, he definitely lucked out on the uh, on the beatings and the. Uh, and the fights in the uh in the household, so so good for him
2: you mentioned uh your ground game and uh, that we haven't seen it yet. I'm going to take your word for it because Kyle's a monster on the ground, and I imagine that you and him yeah, yeah. uh doing groundwork together is probably uh helping you in, in that regard
0: absolutely yeah he's he uh he's definitely a, a terror on the ground as you can see from uh from his fights and uh and all that but yeah training with him especially you know he's got a gas tank on him. He, he, he definitely can go. Um, he gives our coaches fits. He definitely gives me, me fits. Uh, you know, he subs me all the time. We, we go back and forth, but he's definitely, um, you know, a, a key component for, for not only this fight, but, but for all my fights in, uh, in training camp, but especially this one with the, with the jujitsu game. But, uh, yeah, that, that kid, he's, he just likes strangling people and, and he's, he's very good at strangling people.
2: I heard you in another interview say that you were around three bills when you started your, uh, your professional career or, yeah. or maybe amateur career. So how big were you and how big were, was Kyle at that time? Cause you mentioned Kyle was a heavyweight when he was 16, 17.
0: Yeah. So, uh, right before I started training, I was 297 was my heaviest. Um, and then he was like 255, 265, right around there. And he was a kid. He was like 15, 16. So, uh yeah once we started training uh i was realistically i was training two to three days uh two to three times a day for six or seven days a week and when i first started i was you know i was a college kid i, I really didn't know what i wanted to do i was working overnights so i i could do those times i dropped uh, a lot of weight i dropped a lot of weight um right down to realistically where i where i'm at now um like 230 235 uh uh for my first amateur fight and then i yeah, i got a job i'm a philadelphia police officer and with that job comes you know crappy foods crappy hours i kind of gained all that weight back i was back up to like 285 so i was stressing about you know once i made my pro debut and i was like in my pro career i was stressing about making that 265 a little bit but i'm i'm back on it i'm I'm you know we're everything's cleaned up but yeah but to to touch on kyle he was he was a legit baby. He was a kid fighting grown men. He was, I think his first amateur, no, first or second amateur fight, he fought a guy with that was a professional powerlifter. So he, the guy struggled to make 265. My brother was, you know, like 250, 255. And you could just tell that this is, that this shouldn't be happening. Like there was just, you know, two different kinds of people that were in that cage. And he, he lost, but, you know, he, 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 chose those lessons, and he made the right decisions, obviously, because we're both in New York City now.
2: With a win here, you'll probably um, make a good amount of money. Are you looking to uh, walk away from being a police officer for some time and then maybe after your career, uh, you know, be- being a police officer until retirement?
0: Uh, yeah, so um, I'll have 10 years come July uh, with the police department. Um, I have a little bit of a pension saved up. Uh, nothing crazy, but, you know, it's, it's, something, it's something nice to fall back on, you know, just in case you know, hard times coming in. Um, but realistically, uh, once I get all my certifications for the year, I can, uh, I can step away for that year. I, I can take a leave of absence. And that's what I plan on doing. Um, you know, taking a full calendar year to properly train properly, you know, nutrition and everything like that to, to really see how, how far I can take this fighting. You know, I, I've got to this level, um, working pretty much two careers, so I honestly can't wait to see what, what happens when I, I take, you know, the one career out or, you know, put that to the side and, and focus on this one.
2: I believe there's three heavyweight fights uh, this Saturday. There's uh, yourself and Olenek. There's uh, Arlovsky and Aspinall in the co-main yep. event. And, of course, the main event, Derek Lewis, Curtis Blaze. Are you glad you're going to get a chance to, to see
0: these guys up close? Uh yeah, yeah, I've I've seen a couple of guys uh you know just walking through the hallways today, you know, once we got out of quarantine. Um I didn't realize how big our was. Like he's he's super tall. I, I didn't realize how big, like how tall he was. Um Aspinall, I, I've seen before uh, we fought on the same card in Flight Island. So it, it's nothing uh new to see how how big or, you know, how his size. Um but then there's a couple other heavyweights on the card. I forget his name. Um they weren't as big as I thought they were going to be. So, you know, heavyweight division is kind of it's kind of like a, you know, like a random like, you know, size game that that you're playing because some of the guys are are huge and then you have other guys who you think would be big or who look huge on TV, you you walk them past them and you're like, "Oh, that's that like that dude's super small. Like, you know, the, the same thing with me. I'm I'm a smaller heavyweight, so I'm not I'm not cutting. You know, to get 265. So I haven't seen Derek Lewis yet. Um, I just walked past Curtis Blades doing uh, another interview. He's he's about the same. So uh, I was curious to see how big uh, Derek Lewis is. Just the because he he looks like a monster on TV. So I just want to see how he is a person.
2: Yeah, he's pretty big. He's a big guy. i stood next to the guy. Yeah. He's, he's pretty big. And Arlovsky, like yeah. you mentioned, he's, he's yeah. sneaky big because you see him in the cage yeah. with, like, uh, Brett, Brett Rogers, Stefan Struve. He doesn't yeah. look that big, and then you're next to the guy, and he's massive. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Like, I, I quick, I think I was on my phone, or I was talking to my brother. I, I quick turned around, and I, I was like, who is that? And it turned out to be Arlovsky, and I was like, Jesus. I, I didn't realize how tall he was. But, yeah, he's he's a big guy. So, yeah, if, if I end up fighting him, that'll be uh, an interesting uh, – an interesting dynamic that I'll, I'll, I'll have to figure out how to deal with.
2: All right. Well, hopefully we see you get a third first round finish this weekend. Best of luck to you against Alexei yep. Olenek and uh, a pleasure meeting you.
0: Of course. Same to you. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you.
2: I'm joined now by Eamon Zahabi making his return to the cage after about a year and a half away, uh, taking on Draco Rodriguez. I know that this fight was scheduled for late last year and you ended up getting COVID while you were in Montreal uh, how devastating was that for you, finding out before you left for Las Vegas that you ended up contracting it? And I know that you you did have some uh, some symptoms of, the, of COVID-19 at the time.
5: Yeah, listen, it was terrible because it had been so long since I was able to secure a fight. And I'm coming off two losses. So it was very emotional for me. I was like, okay, finally, I'm going to get back in the cage and I want to redeem myself. You know, that's like... One of the things I talk about often is I wish I fought three, four times a year, you know, but uh, it hasn't been working out for me to get fights often. You know, there's always cancellations or disagreements or when you're coming off losses, you're not the guy who gets to choose your opponent. So sometimes, you know, you're you're put into a list of names for somebody else and they don't always pick you. Right. So it's kind of tough, but it was heartbreaking that. COVID happened to me, and it's something out of my control. I did everything I can to be prepared for a fight and to win, and uh, something out of my control stopped me from doing it. But I'm happy now that uh, Draco accepted to reschedule the fight, and uh, we're putting it on this Saturday.
2: Well, I looked at your your resume in the UFC, and you've been in the UFC for almost four years now with only three fights. How did you envision things yeah. going when you signed with the UFC four years ago?
5: Well, I had written myself when I first signed with the UFC that I'd be world champ in 2018, but my career didn't go the way I planned in my mind. And uh, it was—it's a lot harder for me. It's a lot harder than I thought to book fights. You know, I didn't think—I thought, you know, in the regional circuit when you're coming up before you get to UFC, it's hard to get fights because, you know, guys pull out, guys get injured, all this stuff. But it happens in the big leagues too. You know, it's hard to—it's uh, hard to manage. And I'm just hoping that now, last year in 2020, Dana White promised that any fighter who wants to have three fights a year will get it as long as they have a UFC contract. So you know, I'm hoping to put on a great performance, get re-signed. And fight three times a year with UFC. And if not, if I do a great performance, I'm hoping other leagues are interested in me and I can fight three times a year, you know, Bellator, 1FC, Ryzen. It doesn't really matter where. I just want to fight.
2: So this is the last fight of your contract, Dan. I didn't need to ask you that question. You just put it out there. Uh, I know that you've got some teammates uh, in Bellator, like Mandel Nalo, for example, who he had a fight yeah. last year that didn't go the way he would have wanted it to not that he lost but it ended up being a yeah. draw uh due to an unfortunate yeah. inadvertent uh, low blow uh but i'm sure you've heard good things about bellator as well but uh the ufc is obviously where most people want to be due to the, the level of competition
5: the level of competition and i'm going to be honest with you usada is very attractive you know like uh, for a fighter like me who's clean all the time uh you know i don't take anything that's uh performance enhancing or anything like that that's any type of cheating or SARMs or whatever these guys are getting caught for. And even though I know a lot of guys in UFC are still getting away with it, I just feel like when you look at the fighters, it's more obvious that it's less, the performance enhancing is less impactful in UFC than it is in other leagues, you know? So that's one of the reasons why I would favor signing with the UFC.
2: Well, that's, uh, that's certainly good to hear. Uh, what, do you, what can you tell me about Draco Rodriguez? What do you know about him from, I'm sure, breaking down lots of tape uh, over the last couple months?
5: You know, like he claims to be more of a boxer. You know, he says that in his interviews, and even after his fight in the UFC when he got in the, the contender series, when he got that triangle, he said he was surprised. He surprised himself that he was able to tap him out with the triangle because he tries it a lot in practice, and uh, and uh, he doesn't usually get it very often. And I have watched some of his old fights, and he does go for the triangle a lot. Okay, he goes for it a lot, but even more so, he goes for guillotines. So I prepared for those two types of submissions, and I prepared myself uh, to. Uh, neutralize his striking and take advantage of him in all aspects of the fight. And I think I'm, I'll be the better wrestler grappler.
2: Now, in, in terms of your preparation for this uh, and, um, you know, with, with all of the, the re- uh, restrictions that each province has, how has that impacted how you've been able to train for this fight? It impacted
5: it a lot. That's all I want to say about that.
2: It impacted it a lot. Okay. Well, have you been doing training at home or at Faraz's house or anything along those lines?
5: Yeah, I don't really want to comment too much, but uh, I'm hoping these restrictions, you know, they leave soon.
2: Well, now you've got a new set of restrictions for when you return back to Canada that are coming into effect, uh, yeah. I believe, later this week or next week. Uh, so, so how's that going to yeah. impact uh, your, your travel? And also, how do you think it's going to impact Canadians that, that need to come over to the U.S.? It looks like the, all of the different bouts are happening either on Flight Island or Las Vegas, and it seems like for the foreseeable future that's going to be the case.
5: Yeah, well, listen. Uh, I'm lucky because the whole the three day hotel stay for two thousand dollars for each person was gonna cost me six six thousand because I would pay for me for my my uh, coaches Neil and, and for us. So it'll cost a pretty penny, which would be a large part of my purse. You know, so I'm happy that I get home February twenty first, which is one day before the hotel mandatory stay. So I'm glad I'm gonna miss that. And uh, in terms of uh, fighting in Vegas and Abu Dhabi, that's great. You know, I I don't mind as long as we get a chance to fight. Like, I'm happy that uh, Dana White pushed uh, to keep the UFC alive and keep the UFC going and that they implemented a lot of uh, regulations and uh, protocol to keep us as healthy as possible. And even people who don't compete, who have been staying at home, go to the grocery store and catch COVID, you know, so... uh, I'm happy that uh, we still have a job to do here at
2: UFC. So you're getting in at the buzzer, right? Before, right the, the day before that goes into effect, so good for yeah. you on that one. But I, when I think about yeah, ha- the kind of true. crushing impact that's gonna have on the regional scene, like if you're a Canadian that, that is gonna be wanting to compete in LFA or CFFC or any of these regional promotions, I'm sure there are a lot of them at TriStar, yeah. the $2,000 yeah. to pay for a hotel when you're coming back, and I mean, obviously that's being put in place to make people think twice about having to travel uh, outside of Canada, but then that can have a really detrimental effect on on regional fighters in canada
5: yeah i agree man and i think it's it's only going to be more damaging to the sport as, itself you know like mixed martial arts you know luckily the ufc they've got a lot of backing so i don't know if ufc would have covered it for me in the end or not and i don't know if these regional shows these smaller events can can cover that for the fighters you know like flights already are going to be expensive with the, the limited amount of flights i'm sure and uh, it's just going to be hard not to get your career off the ground listen i went through it as well like when i was coming up before the UFC, one of the reasons why I didn't have many fights uh, before signing with the UFC is because MMA was banned in Quebec for a long time. And it was very hard when, I, when you don't have many fights to get flown out to BC or flown out to New York or New Jersey or wherever you got to go to fight. You know, if you don't really have much of a name, no one's going to pay for you to travel. So I think it's more barriers to entry for the upcoming generation of fighters.
2: Yeah, and that will certainly make it difficult. And I, th- I think right now, you usually see how few regional events they are i know elias your teammate is actually training for uh rise fc which is i think going to be the first major regional promotion in canada to actually have an event since last march
5: that's awesome i hope he does really well man i wish him all the best
2: yeah absolutely um so um uh, where do you want to go from here are you hoping to compete two three times this year is that what the plan is
5: the goal is to fight three times a year you know uh, i would love it if uh i do a great performance get re-signed with the ufc you know, that would be a, a dream come true. And uh, if not, man, I'll go fight somewhere else. And that's where I'm going to get my three fights a year. You know, I, I love fighting itself. You know, that's that's what I love to do. And I'm happy that I get to live my dream, you know. And I want to give a shout out to my wife, Silva. The last two years, I know it wasn't easier coming off back-to-back losses and uh, haven't been able to get fights. But, you know, I'm, uh, she's working hard and I'm working hard to do what we want to do in life. And uh, we're very happy that we we're successful and we're still able to live uh, the way we want.
2: And shout out to you guys for having a set of twins that you have to watch twenty four hours a day during this pandemic with nowhere to go.
5: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Actually, theirs opened up, which is great. So uh, it was a little tough for me during uh, the training camp because my wife started a a, a course so she can do a, a different type of uh, uh, job at, at her work. And uh, I was pl- her classes were going to start after my December nineteenth fight, but because the fight got canceled. The classes ended up being during the, the training camp for this February fight. So uh, it was just uh, mayhem getting ready for the fight. But uh, we did it. We pulled it off.
2: I'm here and I'm going to win this weekend. So it's been two fights since the, uh, the loss to Ramos. Uh, in your last fight, you were fairly tentative. I'm sure that you, w- looking back on that fight, wish you would have done more uh, as that fight went on. Was, yeah. was there you know, something yeah. that had to do with your, Was your confidence shaken at all from that loss to Ramos coming into that fight? Is that why you were a little bit tentative?
5: Yeah, you know it's crazy because you know, my confidence was shaken definitely, and like I thought I was over it until I was in the cage. And then round one, I didn't feel it so much. And then round two, I started feeling it. And in, in between rounds two and three, I almost had like a flashback. Like, okay, listen, don't go too crazy because uh, the last time you you pushed too hard in round three, you got caught with something low probability. So I'm up two rounds. Let me just let me just bank this one. Let me just bank this win. And uh, the next one, I'll feel better and uh, I'll do more in the next fight. You know, and uh, I still think I won the fight. I feel like, listen, round one, two, two out of three judges gave it to me. And round two, which I think was also in my favor, one out of the three judges gave it to me. But it was weird. I, I thought, you know, at least two judges would have gave me the first two rounds. But it is what it is. Yeah,
2: looking back on that, a very close fight, um, you know, yeah. and at the time, of course, when you're in there, it probably feels like you're doing really well. And then when, you know, you, you go back yeah. and watch it afterwards, you might, you might feel differently. But you, like you mentioned, there was not a single consensus round among the judges except for the third round, which, as you just admitted, was one yeah. that you were going to kind of take a step back and hope, uh, hope for the best and that the judges would have scored it for you.
5: Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's a huge mistake in my, in my, in, uh, that I did in that fight. And I never want to repeat that mistake in my career ever again. And I felt the shame walking backstage that I took my foot off the gas, you know, and uh, I promised myself that's something I'll never do again
2: small cage for this fight. I don't remember if your fight in Ottawa had a small cage as well, but do you think that's going to work to your advantage?
5: Yeah, I think it's definitely going to work to my advantage. You know, I, one of the things I see with uh with the way this fight's going to go is that I have the better wrestling grappling and I want to expose that. You know, I want to I want to show the world that I'm the better wrestler
1: grappler in this fight.
2: Yeah, I feel like we haven't seen enough of you just yet because I'm sure that you're making exponential growth in camp every time you're doing this, and I feel yeah, like we have yet to see it. That's a, what I'm trying
5: to do. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Listen, I get to go train uh, before. Now the Danathard death squad just moved to Puerto Rico, but before that I would go there, you know, two times a month, two, three times a month to get ready, you know, for fights and things like that. So
2: uh, I've been working
5: a lot of my grappling, a lot of my wrestling, and I uh, really can't wait to show my new skill set.
2: All right, well, we're looking forward to seeing it, Eamon. Thank you for this. Appreciate it, and best of luck this uh, Saturday against Draco Rodriguez.
5: Thank you very much, my
2: man. Well, if you think you had a good weekend, you probably didn't have as good a one uh, as Julian Marquez, who I'm speaking with right now. Thank you for joining me, Julian. You just tweeted something out. You're trying to raise some money with uh, the Barstool Fund, which helps small businesses that are affected by the pandemic. And uh, once a certain number is hit, or once you know, people donate to help out one of these businesses, Miley Cyrus is going to have her, uh, her wish come true. The, uh, the, the Clippers are coming out. So walk me through uh, this announcement.
1: Yeah, we teamed up with Barstool Sports because we want to help out. You know, I got the win. I got the 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 beautiful lady, the, the prom queen, as you would call her. Mm-hmm. And I want to give back to the community. I want to give back to everybody. So we teamed up with Barstool Sports to help raise up money. And I will shave the MC in my chest. If everyone really wants to see it, then that's what we're going to do. Uh, and we'll go from there.
2: Well, you had mentioned in an interview, uh, I think it was with Mike Heck, that chest hair is sacred. I mean, this is a big deal for you. This is like a lion shaving his mane, uh, as you mentioned to him.
1: Absolutely, it is a lion shaving his mane, but it's gonna help out so many people. And that's why I had to reach out somewhere and you know, maximize everything to make sure there's other people that are enjoying this as well. I mean, it's a fun time, you know, like I get to have Miley Cyrus Miley Cyrus gets to have me and this beautiful beard, these amazing eyes, and this great personality. A lot of people are going to be helped with their businesses that have been affected during this pandemic. You know, this is giving back, and this is what I do best.
2: And how many people can say they're dating somebody that's scored an anaconda in the uh, in the U.S.? I mean, Gina Mazzani can say it, but how many people can say it?
1: I, I There's uh, 18 people <laughs> that have gotten the anaconda in there. So... I don't know exactly who are all the people that have that, and I don't know if they have someone dating, but I'll let you know Miley would be super happy that I have an anaconda choke under my belt.
2: <laughs> yes, you are a rare breed. Now, you tweeted out afterwards that you wanted her to get a henna tattoo, and people are all over you, but yeah, I took a step back, and I said, you know what, she has followed him on Twitter, so what goes on in the D- in the DMs we do not know about? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt
1: that everything's going okay. Yeah, gentlemen, never, you know, Don't never reveals the secrets like that. So.
2: All right. Well, I'm not going to ask you about it. I'm just saying people
1: need to give you the benefit of the doubt here. I think you know what you're doing. I I do believe I I know what I'm doing here. Uh, It's crazy. Everybody likes to say stuff and pick stuff out of the woodworks and, you know, go with stories because it's a talk of the town. I get it. That's totally okay. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm happy and grateful you guys are doing that. But uh, everything's fine. And hey, I mean, if you're down two rounds,
2: we've seen this already uh, over the weekend. What can happen? I'm going to come back. As you see, I'm coming
1: back, you know.
2: Well, what I want to know about that fight over the weekend is, I mean, you've been out of the cage for almost three years. Uh, this is, of course, what you've worked towards, you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into. When you're walking out to the cage uh, after that, that time away from the UFC, I mean, getting to the UFC is obviously your dream. How are you feeling? And uh, did that have an impact on how you performed, do you think, in the first two rounds? Man, I was on top of the world,
1: in all honesty. I I loved the music. The music got me in the mood. It got me to where, like, it's time. This is who I am. This is where I want to be. I got in that octagon. And a lot of stuff happened, and a lot of stuff happened super fast. I I could be overwhelmed. Um, It's been a while since I've been in there, but I don't think it's been ring rust. I think it was just Maki Pitolo came out with a great game plan, came out as an evolved fighter. We saw the best version of Maki Pitolo and I, if you run back any of the fights that Maki had with that same person that Maki brought, I think Maki wins those fights. Like he is a savage and a lot of people don't put a lot of respect on his name, but that kid took a whole bunch of fights at short notice, boom, 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 with no time to train. Um, he's five fights in the UFC came out there and he brought it like it was his last fight in the UFC. Uh, and if you watch on me, I was slowly trying to figure everything out. Like it was happening so fast. I was figuring everything out. The stand-up, everything was good. There was no, you know, ring rust on the stand-up. There was just bad decisions on my end. Then, you know, James Krause kept giving me instructions, kept telling me what to do. And I was making in-play calls, and we were adjusting on the fly to the point where we ended up getting to the position that I've been so used to and that guillotine set up to the Anaconda transition – and it just it went in and, and sucked in like butter. You mentioned
2: his game plan. His coach is Eric Nixick. You were out in Las Vegas training both at Syndicate and with Eric uh, for a time. Do you feel like Eric knew you really well and that that might have played a role in, in him having such a good game plan? And obviously, you're not the same Julian Marquez that was in Las Vegas. You've learned a lot under James Krause for your second go-round there. But uh, how
1: much of an impact do you think that had? Man, Eric Nixick is a great coach. It didn't matter if I trained there, if I trained in Timbuktu and never seen him in my life. The thing is, is... He's a good coach. He broke down the fight exactly how it should be. He it counted in the time off. He counted in the style that I have. He found a weakness that I have in my game. He capitalized on it. He ran the Krause series. He ran the 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 evolution style series. He ran the Habib series. He ran all these different stuff and put it into his fighter, and his fighter did fantastic, you know. And I had to figure stuff out it was a puzzle piece, but I I don't think that. Me training with Eric gave him uh, uh, an extra power over me. I think Eric's an amazing coach, and he coached his his student correctly and exactly what it was. And his student was a whole different evolution than he's ever been. You can even hear Joe Rogan giving him praise.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean... That's very complimentary of you and he, and he does deserve it. Eric Nixon's a fantastic coach and James Krause, a very underrated coach uh, as well as an underrated fighter. So uh, his advice to you in between the second and third round, I thought was something that really, uh, you know, got you going. I think that when he got in your face and was telling you, you know, it's now or never, I feel like that really
1: resonated with you as somebody who has had such a long layoff. One hundred percent that look that James Krauss was able to speak to the inner animal inside of me. Um, you know, He actually, when he goes into a coaching position, his like his position is a different person than his normal person that he is. That you talk to him on on camera, you talk to him in person. It's different. Like we all turn into somebody different when we fight. We all turn into somebody different when we coach. And if you listen closely, James Krause was calling me Julian Marquez, and he's never once said Julian Marquez in a fight. Like, oh, good job, good job, Julian Marquez. That's a great job, Julian Marquez. And I'm telling him, like, yes, sir, yes, sir. I don't talk to him like that. That's the other guy. That's the other guy that I hold dormant for 31 months. And he found a way to speak to that guy in around two and three. He knew what to say. He brought that guy out of me, and we got the victory.
2: I've heard James Krause angry before because I, I once told him that uh, one of the judges of his fights had trained uh, with one of his opponent's coach in the past and he, he didn't like that very much. So I have heard an angry James Krause before, but uh, James Krause does deserve a ton of credit for what he does inside and outside the cage. And also in the real estate world, is he even giving you any pointers uh, for some, for some business uh, that,
1: that you can attend to outside of the cage? Absolutely. We're, we've are we been picking our, our brains back and forth and stuff. My dad is actually a real estate agent. He's a wholesaler as well. He's been doing it as long as James has. So I got the best of both worlds. I talked to James about financial investments. I talked to James about stocks. I talked to my dad about that. I talked to Justin at a couple of cents dot com about stocks. He's been helping me out for the past year. Promo code Julian if you need it. But like financial stuff, I ask a whole bunch of different style of people. And James has helped guide me Um, to a better financial stability in my life right now and he's just he's an all-around great coach in and out of the cage.
2: Now there was a time during this layoff uh, when you found out you needed surgery and you were you were not doing well uh, financially Uh, and your manager Jason House really helped you out tell me that story.
1: Man I I was uh, I was down low man I just paid rent I just uh, had an issue I popped my tires or something I had to buy new stuff Um, I didn't I, I, I had, like, something happen with work. I was down to the, like, to a small amount of money, and it, it was rough. And uh, I needed to go to a doctor's appointment in Colorado, or in uh, Chicago. And the thing is, the UFC does medicals and everything. They pay for all that, which I'm – the medical bills were probably ridiculous of how the surgeries I had to do. But they helped me out and with medicals. They don't pay for your flight, your hotel, and things like that, to the point where I was just like, well, I really need this deal. and uh house actually called me and he was like we were just talking because he does weekly checkups on me or periodic checkups and we were talking and he goes what's wrong in your voice and i expressed you know the thing that's going on i told him what was happening and you know and i was like i don't know if i can go and he goes what do you mean and i was like i'm just it, it was a really low point I, I was on the verge like i need to save the money to make sure i can make rent for the next month things like that and uh he goes what do you need to go and it's like okay cool and Next thing you know, he sends over uh a plane ticket in a hotel, and he's like, "All right, you're leaving this day and you're coming back this day, you're staying at this place, and just let me know what the doctor says and it was just like I didn't ask him, I didn't do anything he just did it because you know I'm his guy like he he treated me like how i like how I expect the manager to treat me I wasn't expecting him to do anything I didn't want to ask for help um but he he didn't he just offered it, and that's that speaks volume yeah he's certainly
2: one of the good guys in the sport, and i I always love hearing about the manager relationship with their fighters because you hear all these stories that you know nobody really talks about, and if a manager were to, were to talk about it, they'd be accused of bragging about it. but I always love hearing uh, these kind of stories um, so in, in terms of uh what's next for you when when do you expect that uh, you're going you're going to know whether the, we're going to get the, the the clippers to come out and uh the m c is going to be shaved? yeah I
1: man, you know what's kind of crazy everyone decides. I I don't know what it is. I have to shave my head because I lost a bet to a friend. Now I got to shave a part of my chest because, you know, my dream girl um, wants me. And now I'm over here just like, what's going on? Uh, I don't I don't even know what's next. You know, I'm not I'm not predicting things. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to shave my head, keep training, hopefully buy some real estate wait to the next opportunity. Well, not wait to the next opportunity, go after the next opportunity when it presents itself and we'll go from there. But I've been in camp since, uh, actually may I've been in camp since may with two canceled fight and one fight that came through. It's, it's time to, to skill build. It's time to build stuff up. You know, we're coming up on a year of training for a fight that never happened. And then a fight that came through. And you could tell by my cardio that I was in shape because I had the longest camp of my life. So, I'm just skill build and get into it. Well, I'm
2: hoping you can enjoy a Mountain Dew gamer uh, citrus cherry beverage and some some white chocolate Oreos during your
1: downtime. Oh my gosh! You pay attention. White chocolate covered Oreos only come out in December, and citrus Mountain Dew. It's actually Game Fuel. They don't. Uh, they don't. They like. They stopped it. They 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 just won't come out unless a new game comes out. And then if a new game comes out, it has to be a certain one. Like War of the Warcraft for it to come out with that flavor, they have all these new styles of Game Fuel. It's like, come on, Mountain Dew, give me my Game Fuel original.
2: Well, I've got I've got some good news for you. I saw some on eBay. You can get them for like three bucks a can on eBay for for, the, for the, the the coveted cherry citrus flavor. Dude, look,
1: I don't know if I'll spend three dollars on that. I will wait till it's on discount. <laughs> That's just way too much money, and it. It's just not my cup of tea. I'm that guy that puts the white chocolate-covered Oreos on eBay so that I can sell them for profit like that. It's not going to be the other way around.
2: You're not paying above retail. Forget that.
1: No, <laughs> not at all.
2: What, what's your Give me an Oreo power ranking before we wrap this up. Give me your top three Oreo flavors. Uh, I'm guessing white, the, the white chocolate-covered ones are number one. Those are, those are great. The holiday ones, I like those a lot. But uh, give me your oh, top yeah. three.
1: Uh, it's, it's always going to be white chocolate. Then you're going to have the Red Velvet. I like the Red Velvet Oreos. And then just the Double Stuff Originals. Like You can't go wrong. You can have all these other flavors, but there's something about that that no matter what, you're always going to love it.
2: Well, sir, you're not in camp right now. You no longer need to diet for a little bit. Enjoy the the fruits of your labor. Enjoy some Oreos. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Uh, Best of luck on whatever comes next. Hopefully, it's a date with Miley Cyrus in the very near future. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. I'm now joined by one of the hottest free agents in MMA. It's Anthony Prettyboy Taylor. Two and a half years ago, you have a 2-5 and record. You rail off five in a row. You're on a massive streak. And then a pandemic hits. You got nowhere to go. So walk me through this last year. Uh, Chris Chris Avila, your last win in uh, the beginning of 2020. And since then, you haven't been able to get a fight. Oh, man.
6: It's been horrible. I mean, the only thing you can do is train. You know, with this whole pandemic going on. Um, It really helped me out and it helped me learn as a fighter who I am. What did I want to achieve in the MMA sports game? And having a team, having great teammates really pushes you like Rampage, Joey Davis, Baby Slice, A.J. McKee. When you have your head coach, who's Antonio McKee, you know, there's some there's a lot of motivation going on because. When you're going with AJ, you have to go, 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 go. Because if you're not, he's just going to demolish you and train. So having to keep that pace up with him has really improved my game overall. Not just my striking, but my ground game. You know, I'm a lot of people don't know. I'm five seven, but I fight at 155 and I fluctuate between 45. So Having the spar with AJ, who's almost like six feet, and having to go with Joey's like six one, six two, it really steps your game up as a fighter, especially, especially when you when you're not on as the level they are, you know, when it comes to performance. But overall, it just makes you a better fighter.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, for those that don't know, Joey Davis is one of the top prospects in all of MMA. Uh, his wrestling credentials are pretty unreal. So when you're going with those two guys, and you know how good they are that's only going to elevate your game. And I I imagine that that's what's been the big difference for you during this win streak.
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like a lot of people didn't know, like a lot of people didn't know when I went through the James, when I, when I fought James Gallagher, I went through a bad depression that like, like really took me down to a depression state. And, you know, luckily that I had my coaches and my teammates there. They was like, yo, we're going to, we're going to turn this around. I was you know, a lot of people didn't know I contemplated suicide. Um, just really going through a lot of, really going through a lot of struggles, self-demons I had to conquer. And, you know, Antonio, being Antonio who he is, he said, we're going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to start over to the basics. We're going to set a foundation for who you are. And I took a lot of my, I took a I took a lot of moves and parts from everybody. I took a lot of. You know, stuff from AJ, Joey, Baby Slice, Antonio. And Antonio established a wrestling base for me, which I became a wrestler. And I never even, I didn't get into MMA till 2014, you know. So going on to the fight, the five fight win streak, he was able to help me improve as a fighter and establish myself as a fighter. So I said, hey, I want to wrestle. I want to learn. I want to learn the ground, understand what I'm doing when it comes to being on the ground wrestling. So he helped me improve on that a lot. And from there, I went to, I went to three and five. I flown to Bama, who took a huge chance on me up and overseas. I went to Bama, fought for them twice. Then I fought for Combate in Stockton. Then I got to fight for URCC, a Filipino company um, promotion. Won the title and then Bellator was like, "Oh, okay, let's bring him back, see what he got." So, you know, I'm very lucky to have that type of people in my corner because when I started fighting, got into the fight, fight world as a pro, I didn't get to develop like like how AJ got to develop. You know, like a lot of these fighters, like Michael Page, like well, Michael Page, you're okay, you're fighting two and two, three and two, four and two, okay, five and five. No, I went. Straight off the bat, like Aaron Pico, 5-0, and 9-0, 6-1. You know, I didn't get the chance to develop who I was. But I've always had the mouth that really set me in those good positions. But overall, I'm in a better place mentally.
2: Yeah, you know, I always say that uh, that kind of experience is so important. Because you look at the contender series, and I'm not trying to take shots at anybody here, but we saw Phil Rowe this past weekend. Uh, and his record prior to the Contender Series, he only fought one guy that was 500, and the rest were, were below 500. And then you look at a guy like Tony Gravely who went on the Contender Series, and he was fighting like you—all these killers in the regional scene. He wasn't—he wasn't turning down fights. And I think that, you know, it's important to, to have a good record to get into the UFC, and that that's something they look for. But I feel like a padded record. You know, it's so much worse than having a record where you, you have losses to guys that have a lot of experience. You have tough losses to guys that, that have a lot of experience, yeah. a lot of good experiences. I feel like the fighters like yourself and like Tony Gravely have a better chance when they get to the UFC because they've been in there with some of the top guys on the regional scene and, and showed that they were willing to take those difficult fights along the way.
6: Yeah, you know, you know, a lot of people don't know Gabe, who just fought, um, I forgot his Gabe name. Gabe Green, yeah, Phil Roth. Yeah, Gabe Brim, he's actually one of my teammates, and I spar with him, too. He's really good. This is what he do. And when you see these people who who go into contender series, they're like, oh, 5-0, 6-0, but like, yo, y'all haven't even fought nobody. I'm looking at, I look, in, I look into the, I watch UFC, and I'll be like, yo, I'll dominate these guys. He's who they fight. Like, they look so good fighting 0-1-1 guys, you know. A lot of people look at me and they're like, Oh, you're a bum, you're seven and five. Okay, look at the fighters who I fought that I lost to, and then look who the fighters that I beat. You know what I'm saying? Like I my record people when people look at me, they say, Anthony is better than what his record actually says. You know? And you see a lot of these contender series giving giving these guys shots who went 4-0, getting a shot in continuing shoes. I swear, I, if I had the opportunity to, you know, to take advantage of my career at an early age, I would have done it. But fortunately, I didn't. And it it made me grow into who I am as a fighter now.
2: I want to go back to something you mentioned before, and it's kind of a dark question, so I apologize in advance if, if you're uncomfortable no talking it. about it. Well, but,
6: go for it. No, yeah. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable.
2: <laughs> you talked about uh, battling depression earlier in your career and... and Uh, you know those demons kind of following you and you you had posted online a a suicide note at one point in time Um, how serious was that like how how bad did things get and and how how have things been lately for you I mean again you haven't been able to compete for over a year and you know depression is something that doesn't matter where you're at in your life it it follows you and you can always find ways to get to get down on yourself and also also depression is also clinical so people people forget about that as well That it can sneak up on you at any time.
6: Yeah, and uh, no, absolutely, Aaron. Most of the time they call it uh, epi- episonic, you know, they call it as the episonic, episonic way. Um, You know, when I was going through that very dark time, I was going through a lot of relationship problems, training. I wasn't taking my career serious. I went like one and three in Bellator. Like, I was not in the right mindset. You know, I flew, I flew to Ireland to fight James Gallagher. I lost. I mean, I got death threats, you know, something to belittle, belittle a fighter. And I and, and I get it. You know, one person who actually reached out to me, you know, was really nice was uh, Pat Curran. You know, I told I spoke to Pat Curran the day after the James Gallagher fight. I'm like, you know, how do you deal with the loss? And he's like, you know, you just have to come back stronger than ever. You know, look how Floyd Mayweather. You know, people hate him, but they love, you know, so battling depression you know, I've always I've always dealt with it all my life, you know, but I found an outlet into training, you know, and fighting which which control that. You know, I, I don't have depression anymore, you know, that's that's over, but I'm in a better place now because I have God on my side, I have my teammates, and Antonio McKee's been really a big help for me. He's like a father figure to me. Like he's actually like my dad. And just realizing reality is like, do you want this or not? And a lot of people is battling it. You know, depression is serious. Depression is a serious battle. And if you're not taking it seriously, people tend to end their lives because of this. And fighting, I didn't realize that fighting was a career for me. I, I didn't. I didn't know what MMA was. Six years ago, I just got into it. I didn't know this was going to be my destiny. You know, I didn't know I was going to be a fighter and it, it just chose me. And, you know, I'm happy, Aaron. I'm happy where I'm at because this is something where I can, can say I'm good at.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we kind of got acquainted uh, over the last couple of days on, on social media. Um, Cub Swanson, I put something out saying he thought that people in the MMA media should uh, have three amateur fights uh, you know before they they are permitted to cover MMA and uh, I, I took that a little bit to heart because when I was younger when I had friends come over I used to interview them with a tape recorder you know that that was what I wanted to be I wanted to be in media and I worked so hard to get to where I am now if you look at how many uh, people can make a living covering MMA there's there's a handful of people right um, so you know I, I felt like that was kind of a, a shot at uh, you know the credentials of those in that, that do cover mixed martial arts but you know the reason for my tweet was, people will always kind of you know diminish what you do. You know, there's always a way to diminish what people do. There's always a way to say um, you should have to do this before you can do that. And I always, I've always hated the "you never played the game" argument with with journalism because, yeah, we never played the game because we wanted to become journalists. Whereas with mixed martial arts, people that are great mixed martial artists like yourself, like Cub Swanson, like anybody you covered, it's their passion. Like you guys, the amount of work that you guys put into it. Is so much. And I think what Cub was trying to get at was it would be nice to have people walk in your shoes because you guys are putting yourselves in front of a in front of a big audience. You you know, you're on Bellator, you're on TV. And and if you lose, that's devastating because of how hard you have worked towards it. and, And that loss is on display for the whole world. And I can understand why Cub would feel like that experience would go a long way for anybody. I don't think it's just the journalists. I think anybody, and there are so many people that are critical of mixed martial artists online, and I, I, I despise it personally. When I see it, it sickens me because I'm one of those people that wouldn't have what it takes to get in there. And I can acknowledge that. I have the self-awareness for that, but I feel like a lot of people don't, and I, I can understand why you could be driven to a state of depression from people that are criticizing you for doing something they would never do.
6: Absolutely. A lot of people... You know, the fight, when, you, when you're dealing with MMA, it's the hardest sport in the world. I don't care if they say soccer or anything. We're literally tra- training to four to six months, even up to a year, just to fight for 15 minutes. 15 minutes, and you're already tired, gassed out in the first round. You know, I, I get what Cubs is saying, in a sense. But I think he could have I think he could have said it in a different perspective, in a different way, instead of being so direct. You know, like and when when I when I wrote under your tweet, I'm like, hey, it didn't matter if you had some experience, high school wrestling, if you took a couple classes, you understand that what we're going through, you know. Because a lot of people when they look at Joe, they're like, Well, Joe does a jujitsu kickboxing. he's done it before, so Whatever he says, his credibility is is up there, you know. But I I get it. A lot of people they love the sport. They wanna they wanna interview, you know. Just people. I met a lot of, I met a lot of you know, jur- you know journalists who got into MMA because they loved it. And, you know they didn't they never fought, but they loved it. They love the sport. They love people. They love interacting with fighters, and they're amazing people. You know, and you're gonna have your ups and downers when you're dealing with certain uh, journalists. Uh, blah, journalists. But um, I mean, it's how it's it's how you take it, Aaron. It's how anybody takes it. If you want to take it as as a as as a, as a defense, go for it. You know, enjoy yourself. At the end of the day, who cares what he thinks? Who cares what other people think? You know, you bust your butt to get where you are now. I don't care how long it took, took you to get there, but you're there now.
2: Well, the thing is, I do care about what Cub Swanson says because as somebody who covers the sport, I'm curious what he thinks we can do better. That, that's important to me because I, I do not want to uh, have any... At the, sorry. Day,
6: at the end of the day, he's going to say what he's going to say if he's losing or winning. It's up to you, journalists, to get everything that's out there that most people can't see there's a lot of people who don't have Twitter there's a lot of people who are who are new to Twitter and don't understand it without you journalists they wouldn't the fighters won't be who they are now as big because of social media you know I love journalists I I I didn't take it as hard but I, I thought it was a funny shot at journalists like hey like Hey, I get it that you're upset. You know, I get that you sometimes get criticized over certain things you've done in a fight, but that's your job, bro. You know? And I I didn't really take it that serious, but I do feel like, you know, if you have some type of training, or even if you did it in high school as a kid, karate, and you have that, and you understand how how we are competitively, then, yeah, then your your thoughts, your Everything counts, you know. If 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 learning and and being a journalist, doing what you want to do is something you want to do. Go for it. Don't let no one or any other fighter say you're a crap at what you do. crap at because at the end of the day, you know they they're not paying you.
2: Yeah, I had mentioned uh, to you that that I did as soon as I got this job covering MMA uh, for TSN, I went and enrolled in martial arts and took it for a couple of years uh, until we had a third kid, and then I just didn't have time, <laughs> chasing kids around uh, as you know hey, on top hey, of a full time job.
6: Hey, that's and that's and that's good because now now that you you actually did it, you seen it, you see the difficulty of how how it can become over later in the years. It's okay.
2: I do want to go back to something though. With with yeah. early in your career, how much did that kind of feedback on social media and, and all that get to you? Because, uh, you know, a lot of the time we, you know, those kind of words can be impactful.
6: Love, when you're dealing with social media, you know, I, I used to always look at, like, Conor McGregor and Floyd as examples when you're dealing with social media. Because when Conor would lose, everybody would just talk crap you know, take jabs, you know, kick a man while he's down. But when he wins, oh, Connor's the greatest, Conor's that. You know, at the time, at the time, 2016, I, it was big, but I took it very, very serious because this was, like, my first big defeat on national TV. Like, embarrassing defeat. Like, I've never been choked out on TV. I've never had people, like, like their hopes on me before you know and it was big it was like the main event and it really hurted me inside because the fact that you have fans who were there even though they were there to see James Gallagher they would throw things at me as I'm walking to the backstage death threats kill yourself you suck as a fighter you know that takes a toll especially when you've just been defeated and who wants to hear all that stuff and you know so after that you I just went through a really bad time. Like, didn't care. I stopped training. I I lost the passion of fighting. And, you know, we call it cyberbullying. And, you know, it's just, it's life. People want to have their own opinions. It's It's a matter if you want to deal with their opinions or not. You know, I... I grew further into the game, and I understand it. And when I look at Floyd, I'm like, okay, they're going to love you and hate you. Like Connor said, you make sure you get paid on both days, win or lose.
2: And so what was the thing that got you back into uh, having the love for fighting, getting out of that depressive state, and uh, getting to where you are now? You know, you're on a great win streak. You have momentum in your career. uh, And, you know, you're looking for whatever the next thing is.
6: Definitely my teammates. Antonio, you know, Antonio, see, think about Antonio. Antonio is not your average MMA coach. He's not. And he understood who I was as a person because I opened myself up to him. He he knew exactly what I was going through. And he just kept it 100% honest with me, like, yo, quit, give up. This sport is not for you. If you're going to sit there, pout and cry and not get better, quit. It's easy to quit, but it's hard to succeed. So he was there every step of the way, Aaron. Like Having having friends and coaches there for you is one of the biggest things. Sometimes you might not want to open up, but it happens gradually. And Antonio has just been a very big factor in my life. And I owe everything to this man he i was on the verge of dying taking my life and he saved me multiple times not just once multiple times and you have that person that you can talk to it's okay it's okay to talk about what you've been through in your past it's okay to talk about you know what you've done but it's about what are you doing now are you improving as a person
2: how many times did you say you were close to dying
6: Um, Three times thought about it
2: and what what ended up happening
6: once was high school twice in 2016 you know i i I, you know i didn't physically have anything but i just really thought about it and first person reach out was my coach family you know it's it's a serious... It's a, you know, I don't take it serious, me personal, when people ask about it because it's like, hey, there's a lot of people who are in my situation. You know? And, hey, how you, well, how, how'd you? How you get through it? I'm like, hey, this is what I've been through. This is how I went about it. So now when someone's else in your position, you can coach them on how to cope with depression. You know, I've never really... I've never physically harmed myself. I would probably, like spiritually hard myself, like I stopped believing in everything, God, myself, you know, but over time, when you have friends and coaches who are there stepping away, everything, you start building that confidence back up again.
2: That's the reason why I'm asking you and I've asked a lot of different fighters about uh, issues they've had with mental health because fighters are considered the strongest people on the planet. So when people see that people like yourself are struggling with something that they struggle with, they can relate to it because they don't feel like they have what you guys have. They, that you guys have the, they don't feel like they have the intestinal fortitude that, and the courage that you guys have to get into a cage and, and to, uh, to compete day in and day out. So that when they hear it coming from someone like yourself who's gotten in the cage uh, 13, 14 times and, and done what you have at, at a high level on television, they, they get something out of that that they couldn't get otherwise. They, you know, they hear that someone like you struggles with what they struggle with.
6: Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I didn't come from the best background grown up, you know, I had a lot of brothers and sisters. You know, my dad was never around. You know, I grew up as a in a single parent household, you know, and when someone gives you the opportunity to use these hands, they say, "Hey, Anthony, you can change your whole life, your whole family life by just using these hands." Somehow some way, even if it's just being a doctor, or fighter, or boxer, to you, you want to take the opportunity, you know, and A lot of people don't have the opportunity that I have. I'm very grateful where I'm at with my life right now. You know, I'm in a good place. I'm a good, I'm in a good spot. And there's a lot of people, I I mean, think about it. Like there's a lot of kids with Down syndrome who wish they were normal. And, and I understand that because I feel what they feel deep inside. And. The best thing we could do is just reach out to people who are in need of help.
2: I'm gonna to go to a bit of a lighter topic. This past weekend Julian Marquez competed. Afterwards he uh, had a call out from Miley Cyrus. Now this is something you've done before because you after Keisha Cole announced that I guess she had gotten a divorce or something, you reached out to her and you tried to, to set something up with Keisha Cole. So what what advice I, should should Julian should would you give to Julian Marquez?
6: Man, I, you you can't give no advice. You can't demand something. Look, look. If I was him, I would the next hour I would have had MC. I would have been like, "Hey, Mighty Cyrus, you coming to the corner of me in my next fight? You coming out to my next fight?" He dropped the ball. You, you. It's like you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady throws you the ball. You're down. You're down by six. You're down by five. You just need to score a touchdown. And he fumbles at the one yard line. You, just, you can't fumble that. That's Mighty Cyrus, bro. She could have changed your life. You, If you got with Mighty Cyrus, you would have been bigger than Conor McGregor, bro. You lost yourself. You would have made top five just off your status itself. You, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm a ladies' man. I, I, I don't fumble. You shouldn't fumble. And him demanding something like that was like, Mm. that definitely didn't sit well.
2: Has there been any interaction with yourself and Keisha Cole since that whole thing uh, went down?
6: Nah, nah. I was trying to interact with Iggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Iggy you Azaleo, know, but yeah, no luck. You know, if, if Miley Cyrus ever wanted to look at something more beautifully handsome and all that, I'm here. You know, <laughs> I'm here. I just think, you know... Some guys are not worthy enough for other women, certain women.
2: Well, I've got to say, I think Julian Marquez is going to be a pioneer in this space. When people are asked to call out their next opponent, I think in the future people are going to start just calling out celebrities and just shoot, you know shoot your shot. You're on you're on national television.
6: I mean, oh, that's that's like the thing you want to do that. I should tell AJ. I should tell AJ McKee. I'm like, yo, AJ, for your next fight, you should call out Ariana Grande. And be like, hey. Since I won this million dollars, would you go on a date with me, you know, to Paris? Guys. Man, it's, it's the new thing because now these, I mean, think about it. The whole pandemic, what? there was like two things that were on professionally, NBA and MMA. And everybody was like, all right, we don't care about the Lakers. UFC's on, so you have the platform everybody's watching. The earth stands still when MMA is on. And when you have that platform with all eyes on you, with millions of people watching you, and you call out a celebrity, you better perform top-notch when you're ready to call her out.
2: Well, you mentioned you mentioned AJ McKee's next win. If his next win is his next fight, he's going to be big time. I mean, he's already pretty big time, but I mean that uh, that featherweight Grand Prix is uh, is coming to a to a climax. It, himself versus either Emmanuel Sanchez or Pitbull. I mean, those are two fantastic opponents, and I think AJ has Absolutely. the tools to do it.
6: Absolutely, AJ going to dominate them, either or, both of them. AJ AJ is just a different breed, man. AJ is just a monster, and Man, I, the mentality AJ has is no, it's just, it's a, not even a dog, a wolf. Like, he's coming to kill you. And, and it's like that in practice. It's just like, I'd be having to tell AJ, like, hey, dog, we teammates. I ain't pit We teammates, homie. Like, t- take it easy. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, my bad, the switch comes on. And AJ just has a tool overall he's a superstar he's not a star he's a superstar he's the next he is the next generation of MMA stars and a lot of people don't see that because he's in Bellator and people are like who's AJ McGee never heard of him you know but when you think when you hear like Ariel speaks about him DC and everybody else speaks about it then his name starts catching under people's tongue. oh okay 16 and oh okay how would he wouldn't do he wouldn't fare good in in the ufc i'm like man you you guys don't understand like we have to bring in certain ufc fighters coming in far with aj because he's so good
2: yeah, I mean, well, Patricio to me is a top ten pound for pound guy in the world. So, I mean, if he is able to dominate Patricio, now suddenly you've got AJ McKee on that list because uh, yeah. I I don't think Patricio gets enough credit for what he's been able to do. Two division champion knocking out Chandler in the first round. when, really, I think he can make bantamweight. Like, he's not a very big guy.
6: Yeah, no, no, me like me and Patricio, uh, Patricio is we're, we're the same height. We're, we're we're the same height, and it's going to be very useful for when AJ does have his camp because I. I am picking um, Pitbull to be Sanchez in that fight, and I can very well imitate Pitbull's style. So it's going to be a good fight. AJ just overall classism. Reach, you know, counter, quicker, younger, stronger, you know. And a lot of the Pitbull matchups haven't been the best.
2: Well, I'm looking forward to whatever's next. Probably... Sorry, go ahead.
6: Besides Chandler, that was
2: probably his best matchup. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one. I also think Emmanuel Sanchez has a chance of beating him in the rematch. Sanchez is really up to his game. Uh, well, I, I'm looking forward to whatever's next for you. Um, hopefully it's the contender series. I think that you bring that it factor uh, both inside and outside of the cage. I think that you uh, are able to, to get hype and get people to, uh, to watch your fights. And I think that that is uh, a skill that not everybody has in this sport, along with your win streak. So uh, best of luck on whatever's next. And uh, do you have any calls coming out coming into you right now? Who's who, who should people reach out to if they want to if they want to get you uh, get you on their card?
6: Oh man, they can reach out to Antonio McKee. Um, he has his Instagram, or they can reach out to me on my Instagram, Anthony underscore Pretty Boy. You know I'm not hard to find. All you gotta do is type in Anthony Pretty Boy Taylor. It sends you all of my links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and all that stuff, you know, Antonio managed me. He, he has, he's a guy.
2: All right. Well, it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thank you for doing this, Anthony. And I uh, hope to speak with you soon. Hope to see you in the cage real soon as well.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Cause once I do go to the UFC, fireworks all day.
2: A big thank you to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA show interview edition. We had Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, Eamon Zahabi, Chris Dawkis, Julian Marquez, Anthony Pretty Boy Taylor. So much content. So many great interviews. More than you can wrap your head around, I'm sure. But uh, like I mentioned off the top, please do rate and review the show. It does help us a lot. We don't ask for anything you know in return. Just uh if you get a free show every week and you know, just show us some love. That's all we ask. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more great interviews. And uh if you haven't had a chance to check out the TSN MMA show, uh, the standard edition, myself, Joe Valtellini, we, uh, we chopped it up for a little bit, talking about the uh, championship fight at UFC 258, Kamaru Uzman retur- uh, retaining the title, and of course this coming weekend's event, and much, much more. That's available wherever you find this podcast. Thanks again for tuning in.
1: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.